Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the next episode of Talking Digital Infrastructure. I'm your host, Mohan Gandhi, and this series is brought to you by the Sustainable Digital Infrastructure Alliance. Very exciting guest joining us today, Christoph Buchli, founder and CTO of Helio AG. Before that, he was a web developer and solutions architect for over 11 years. Christoph, I wonder if you can just give us a run in into what is Helio AG? Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Mo, for for having me. Um, of course, I, I'd like to uh, to introduce Helio with uh, with the sentence that we always use when we explain to our friends, like Helio is the Airbnb for compute, which is uh, easy to grasp, but technically, of course, doesn't uh, do justice to what we actually do because what Helio does is it takes all the idle capacity that sits around in data centers in the world and bundles them together on a marketplace so that um, people can buy these spot capacities. The, the name spot capacity was invented by uh, AWS, so Amazon. But uh, yeah, we just reuse that for as a, as a word, as a name for making use of this idle capacity and therefore we sell it on a marketplace and for our customers they they benefit by getting access to cheap affordable compute easy to use spot in spot compute and uh, our api makes sure that they get the best compute for their money's worth and obviously for sustainability reasons you're optimizing um the assets uh, and the resources people already have so you're getting increasing efficiency by a factor of 20 yeah. 20 30 plus percent yeah exactly i mean there is there is uh, in terms of sustainability of course if you have bought assets and you are using them in, in, in a bad in a bad way that's never good for sustainability but helio is does much more in terms of sustainability than that because Imagine there is a server that runs idle and doesn't compute any work that normally depends a little bit on the model, but it already uses up 40% of the electricity that the server uses at full capacity. So um, when we when we utilize this, uh, we actually the the power consumption of a server is not linear. So the better a server is utilized, the more energy efficient it is it. But it, it goes further because once we start utilizing the assets that we already have, this also significantly reduces the need for buying new resources. Imagine like uh, industry-wide, like depending, depends a little bit on which studies you believe, but industry-wide there is a utilization rate of around 14%, which means that 85% of server capacity that is already out there today is not used which means only one in seven servers on average is used so basically we could just throw out six of seven servers if the utilization would be 100% of course we're not going to reach 100% but the scale is pretty significant if we could just save maybe move it from one in seven to one in five, then all, we could already save 20% of all the servers that's, that are out there and they wouldn't have to be built in the first place. So this is really the, the huge impact that Helio is going to have. Like driving up utilization is a very natural thing just uh, because, yeah, of course you want to better utilize your assets, but there is also a, a long-term goal, which is, yeah, the, the impact is much more significant than just uh, optimizing a little bit. Right, and that means um, for the demand side, it means 
significantly reduced prices, um, which I presume presumably means follow one, you know, compound of years and years of reduced prices is a huge increase in in the growth of uh, the demand for compute. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we see that the, the compute demand is, is naturally growing rapidly because of all the new possibilities that we have. Think blockchain, think AI, think new ways of physics simulations and all of that. We we start to, like the famous saying in the simulations community, simulate 10 times, then test once on a physical prototype, which means there is uh, 10 times more efforts put into simulation before we have to do a physical prototype. So we see that the demand of compute is naturally surging. And, and this also means that new business models will emerge from that, that, that can leverage this, this level of digitalization way better. And the, the the bottleneck that many of these business models that are out there already in, in, in the face of ideas, the bottleneck that they have is that they just don't have access to the compute they need. And this does not only necessarily mean the amount of compute, but also imagine if you have the nature of your business model is that you have very volatile compute demand. Mm. What you currently do is because it's it's the cheapest way to Today, make sure that you get all the compute that you have. You have to buy servers that cover the, the peak demand that you have. And then you, you, you would have to operate these servers yourselves and, and do all the maintenance works yourselves. And this is just stuff that's not for, for many of these new emerging companies. That's just not their core competence. They have no competitive advantage by owning the hardware themselves. It's just cumbersome and... and Therefore, um, we want to relieve them of that, of that, uh, of all of, of all of that work. And as a very nice side effect, but a very important one, we are also making it, of course, for them much more cost efficient mm. to actually make use of this new technology rather than buying it themselves, and of course, also rather than uh, using it in the public clouds. So I want to dive into that um, workload sphere, like you said. So certain businesses they they surge. Um, but that that's not really uh, accounted for currently in the sort of uh, the sort of uh, provision of uh, compute currently. So this surge is exactly what you're um, serving, uh, which is currently unserved. Um, what is it about the workload that is changing? So why is the marketplace more applicable now than it was five years ago? I mean, if you, if you look at the, the general development of the field of software engineering and generally the, what, what people normally do is uh, they elevate in the level of where they work. Back like 20 years back, most of the software engineers, they were basically microprocessor programmers, embedded systems and all of that. And then at some point, some some small people figured out, okay, we need the, we need the standard for that. So all the the chipsets they operate on a standard. Therefore, less people can maintain all the work that needs to be done on the chipset level. And then they moved up. Uh, most of the is engineers, software engineers, were working on operating systems. But operating systems is also a solved issue. You know, like every everywhere is just a Unix kernel now, POSIX compatible, and that's it. And so most of the brilliant minds in software engineering, they went up to the next level. There, there was a time where a lot of, a lot of people would uh, do basic, uh, invent new programming languages, basically that makes like um, 
work in the field of uh, the web easier. A lot of brilliant minds came up with all the, the Java runtimes and everything that made the web easier. But so if, if you look at that, people like just climb up. It, it's not a ladder. It's not a ladder in terms of, okay, these, these jobs are more difficult or more significant, but it's just you have to do less of the 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 craft craftsmanship of of the lower levels as as soon as they get standards established like you have the standard for chipset so less people are needed to maintain and and uh, advance in this field so that you can uh, provide a good platform for everyone and we see that now with the emerging solutions of all the cloud providers there is we are at the brink of a standard for infrastructure that i mean there has been many there has been a lot of work in the past 10 years i would say since since uh, yeah basically since the birth of of linux containers um there has been a lot of uh, very groundbreaking work in in the field of of uh, infrastructure Take, for example, Kubernetes, which is probably the, currently the most, the hottest topic and the, the most significant uh, work that has been done in standardizing infrastructure. And standardizing infrastructure always means that a lot of infrastructure providers, or, or not only infrastructure, generally when you standardize something, there is a lot of consolidation following. So there, when, when a standard establishes, a lot of, a lot of uh, efforts will be joined together and and therefore we see that now is the time to actually create a platform provide people with a platform where they they can consolidate all of these infrastructure efforts that they are taking we see that the technology is there i mean kubernetes is uh, is is the, the really the rising star in in, in this field but uh, kubernetes is just a, or is is a manifestation of that the, this whole industry, this infrastructure, compute infrastructure industry is more than ready to accept a standard for finally taking away all this work that, that still needs to be done. I mean, if you look at if you look at companies and enterprises today, they still have a lot of sysadmins, sys operations people, some even call it DevOps and, and, and uh, advance in that field. But actually, everyone is absolutely ready for, for a standard. And, and um, we see that providing a platform that just unifies everything and takes away all these worries will be the winner in the game of providing this uh, a place where where all these offerings can meet and finally put our differences behind us and, and establish a standard for infrastructure that that I, will that will survive i see i see and so you mentioned uh, aws earlier and spot capacity is it fair to say that cloud companies currently operate their own kind of market but within the boundaries of their cloud contract so you you can procure you can reserve capacity or you can procure spot capacity but only within that specific cloud and what your um what Halio does is it opens it up to all clouds all providers across europe yeah absolutely i mean you, you that's why we sometimes call it i mean the, the analogy is a little bit uh, difficult uh, because it, it it doesn't yeah it doesn't cover the technological problems but imagine 
uh, when we compare it to Airbnb, there back in the days there used to be a few people who just let friends stay over, and then some 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 people came up with uh, this platform. It's called Couchsurfing, where you could just basically exchange email addresses for for other people. So people were always making use of their their couch and 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 uh, of, of cheap and affordable means of travel, but. It wasn't accessible for everyone. Just a few few people had the they had the network and they had the the, the security and everything that to actually offer their place to some stranger. Normally, you would just offer your your spare bed or your couch to your friends, right? And that's basically what what Amazon did in the first when they first came up with cloud. They they offered their service because, of course. The engineers at Amazon, they engineer what benefits Amazon and nothing else. Right. And therefore, Amazon, the, the, the cloud platform is mainly suited for friends of Amazon. So people doing similar business, which in Amazon's case is originally, I mean, originally Amazon is an e-commerce hoster. So e-commerce is, is basically their strong suit, obviously. But yeah, then the, the problem is that most uh, commerce platforms actually see Amazon as a competitor. So they, for political reasons, would never move to AWS. And then with Google, Google has a, has a brilliant background in big data because what is a search engine, if not a big data collection. And uh, that's where they are strong. But of course, Google engineers only work on what benefits Google. Therefore, everyone does what, what really serves their purpose because there is a company behind. And, and we see that, the, therefore, we see that there is really a need for a company which like the sole purpose of Helio is to provide this platform for everyone in a unified way. And if that's the sole purpose of the company, then all the engineers will be focused on that. And therefore we established this company. And that's also why we don't necessarily see us from an engineering perspective. We don't see us as competition to the public clouds, but we are extending their offerings to something that really can benefit for really everyone in the market can benefit and and just takes also away some of the work that the the cloud engineers have to do because they have to maintain workloads that are not really suited to run on their platform today i mean you see that when 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 amazon and, and google they all try to push into the serverless space because from an infrastructure perspective that's much more easy to handle but when you go into the serverless space which is as i as i said before is elevating the level of your services uh, one step further up in the stack. But that also means that you have to be a domain expert in this field, which the cloud, the engineers at the clouds obviously are not. There is a few, every cloud has a few fields where they are strong. I'd say Google is quite strong in the AI um, area. And as I said, like they, they, they are, there are new, mar new markets emerging for the, for the public clouds, but they will never be a neutral, unified infrastructure provider for everyone because it's always their business first. How, I'm throwing the boat out now, so how do you see digital infrastructure changing in the next five years? I see the first most crucial thing that people or also mainly companies need to figure out is they need to figure out a way of intellectual property rights on the data because they, data or, or assets in, in, in a traditional uh, business, business lingo, data or assets. And what currently happens is that 
by by dictation of the IT department, these assets are moved out of the company, for example, into public clouds and everything. So the, the most important thing in the next few years will be that companies figure out how to solve the intellectual property rights of, of the data that they have. And then what, what that means is that there will be a split, I would say, in the digital infrastructure between data services and, and data processing services. This is just traditionally, it's just everything is the same service provider, the same hardware. But I think there will be a, a, a split and therefore specialization of these two, which means that a modern company will be more like a data warehouse and and uh, there will be free floating compute around for everyone to use just as when in a company in a traditional manufacturing company the company owns actually the the machines to actually produce turn goods and services into other more valuable goods and services and there is electricity just floating around for everyone to just use as they please and i see compute as this new form of electricity which is just giving power to actually create value in the company but the, the resource to create this value this value is the data and and so i say I, i'd say in five years we are at this point where every company our industry figured out how to solve this this property rights and for example what i could see for example is that every company houses their their raw data themselves and then there is some pre-processing and anonymization done. And then the data, a much smaller data set that is currently of interest is, is deployed into the this compute cloud. Let's call it the cloud because it's everywhere, you know, like, or, or maybe, maybe we just use another word in cloud, maybe use fog. Then the data, this pre-processed small set of data that is of current interest for, for a certain new value creation is put into this fog of compute power. And then a result comes back, which actually helps the company to create more value from the data that they already have. But for that, as I said, anonymization technology will be important. And, and uh, a lot of, for example, machine learning has to advance in, 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 in a direction that it actually can guarantee not to learn the privacy relevant data and all of that. I see. And I, I really enjoy that um, analogy between electricity and compute. Um, but would the fiber networks then have to be significantly reinforced? Because now we're talking about significant flows of information, uh, or of data, sorry. Or do we already would... have the sort of fiber network necessary? I think the topology of the network has to change a little bit. Currently, it's it's really like it, it looks like this uh, this tree basically with with some very heavy heavy stems that that is the internet backbone. I think that the topology will become much more distributed. By by which I mean, I can imagine, for example, in in a city. There is a few uh, few districts where there is really a lot of a lot of industry, a lot of these data warehouses that from from what I outlined before, and these data warehouses in their district or maybe in the city would share compute. So the lines in in the inner city data traffic lines will of course have to be reinforced. 
But I think overall, the, the pressure on the global data flow, or, or like, the, the, of course, the amount on the global data flow will, de will increase constantly. But I would say that uh, the, the, the speed at which the, the data flow globally increases will, will, reduce, will reduce a little bit because a lot of problems that are currently handled at these hotspots like Frankfurt, Amsterdam, London, and Europe, uh, can in the future be handled more more decentralized. Actually, in every city, we'll have have this small data center where everyone smaller data center than the hyperscalers where everyone can uh, share the compute resources, and therefore your data only has to go into that data center. So I think if if I am in any way right, then I think cities should start invest in their in their fiber network just within the city because this will be a huge competitive advantage. Just like a city has to make sure that the power lines are, are ready and, and, and uh, are there, the, the power infrastructure is there to support growth of the industry. They also have to make sure that inner city data traffic can massively increase. So in much the same way, computing power is becoming similar to electrical power, the compute network, the fiber networks that distribute this compute or the result of the compute will probably become quite similar to the power distribution cables. Um, and that means significant nodes in centers of large consumption, i.e. cities. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, I mean, generally the the, the the compute industry just doesn't do that i mean we can learn a lot from the from the electricity industry but because the electricity has uh, electricity has a has a really difficult problem to solve that that you can't really store it and you have to you have to always use it up. So there's a, a limitation by physics, and we don't have this limitation. But still, um, the, the optimizations that the electricity grid took over the past 100 years, or I don't know how long electricity has been, <laughs> grids has been around, but the optimization, the solutions for for that optimization problems are much more sophisticated than what we currently have in the in the data industry. And therefore, obviously, we should learn and and have a look at how it works there. And I, th I think that we can learn a lot from the, from the power industry and, and we should because it's not so different at the end of the day when, when you really think, when you believe that compute will become a utility, then it's not so different anymore from the power grid and we should learn everything we can from, from power grid operators. And that means, for example, Helio might offer more than spot they might offer reserve, they might offer day-ahead markets if we take the, the markets that the energy... Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, spot is only the, 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 the one most crucial thing of the puzzle that is missing today. So we, we start with really providing and figuring this problem out because once this spot problem is, is solved, then we, can, we, can, we, have, we have solved the hardest problem in this market today. 
and 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 then we are we are much closer to to actually becoming this this flexible market where you can buy futures and and everything i mean it, generally today people already do that kind of when you buy when you buy your racks in a data center you you already kind of also buy the the electricity there but but it's it's far from from this level of optimization that we have in the electricity grid and and figuring out spot will be how to handle spot will be the first step and and then we can we can actually really go from there and and uh, really offer all these these possibilities that there is to to ensure stability of of the electricity grid and and bring all of this technology and and also this this uh techniques to the data center or, or, or data processing industry. Interesting. Christoph, thank you so much for joining us. Um, a fantastic, fantastic insight, um, especially for our audience who are typically uh, physical infrastructure people. So great to hear what's, what's going on uh, inside the racks, under the hood, in the software realm. So thank you very much for joining us, Christoph. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, thank you for all the great work that you guys are doing in bringing these two industries together, because I do believe that we have much to learn from each other. Definitely. Thank you very much.